for every year or every number attached to a year, there is a concept, there's an idea, an ideal. Can I say concept, idea, an ideal? There are concepts associated with the 14th year to illuminate our heart, give us revelation about what God wants to do. There are ideas about the 14th day, the 14th year, that gives us insight as to what we want to do. There are ideas about every 14th year about what God wants to do. So what are the concepts associated with the 14th year that can give us the revelation of what we need to do? I could give you 14 different concepts about the 14th year. But we don't have the time. So let's see if we can do seven. Are we in agreement? Let's do seven or eight. The first concept, and I'd like to give you all the concepts at a go. Uh, maybe take out one or two so we can concentrate and come back to the ones we don't deal with. Now, let's look at the concepts associated with the 14th year that can give us insight as to how we can be enlightened to illuminate our generation. The first concept is power and process of salvation. Power and process of salvation. Say it after me. Power and process of salvation. The second is glories and gateways of deliverance. Can I hear you say glories and gateways of deliverance? I'll explain in a moment. But associated with every 14th year, for the purpose of enlightenment to illuminate uh, our environment is the power and process of salvation, the glories and gateways of deliverance. The third concept is double septenary grace for perfection. Say it after me. Double septenary grace for perfection. I see the way some people are looking at me, so let me deal with this immediately so we can move on. You know, church people have a way of functioning. <laughs> when you're saying something new, sometimes they tune up, but nobody will tune up on me tonight in Jesus' name. Okay, double septenary grace for perfection. The word septenary is a technical name for seven. The word septenary is a technical name for seven. And here we have double septenary. Double septenary means seven plus seven, which is what? 14 years. Look at the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, we see what God exactly means by this season of double septenary grace. Deuteronomy 15, verse 1 and 2. At the end of every seven years, Thou shalt make a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lended out unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. So the enlightenment of the 14th year has to do with the Lord's release. At the end of every 7th year, you shall proclaim a release of debts. And a release of debtors. This is not just the end of the 
seventh year is the end of the seventh year of the seventh year and i hear god say release somebody shout release come on now lift up your right hand and shout release one more time release is a season of the marketplace for releasing people from debt and indebtedness i told you that i hate borrowing money because the borrower is a slave of the lender but as business people you need to borrow in order to invest and but please as christians the art is the lord and the fullness thereof your father has all the resources sometimes your father can give you money without you going to borrow the money because he says you are a lender and not a borrower you will lend to nations oh somebody didn't say amen. amen i believe that one day uganda will need money you will lend money to uganda amen. i don't see somebody who believes what i'm saying or else your amen will will be louder but that's the word of god that he's made us to be lenders and not borrowers but if you have to borrow make sure you have divine direction make sure you don't just borrow because others are borrowing because god can give you business to start that school god can give you money rather to start that hospital whatever infrastructure that god wants you to get he will give you the resources so if you have to borrow make sure you have divine direction as many as are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god one of the things that the enemy is using to bring nations into bondage is the spirit of debt and indebtedness it is a spirit it is a spirit when you notice that you have a need you don't think about how to use creative your creative ingenuity to solve that problem you're constantly thinking of who to collect money from that means you're under bondage you're ruled by the spirit of debt and indebtedness and may that yoke be broken in the name of jesus christ Amen. i told you yesterday that the, the borrowing i hate most is that which happens in the family where husbands borrow money from wives i say it for a second time guys that are here women are smart they are very very smart some of them beat us in class but why we think that we're smarter than them i don't understand i have some friends in one of our african cities they 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 the husband and wife attended the same school they studied mathematics interestingly the lady came out with a first class the husband came out with a second class sometimes i go to their home the lady is giving the guy wise counsel but it's i'm the man I, I call him aside and listen that lady had first class so her counsel is first class counsel you better listen to her immediately i don't know what makes us think that we're smarter than the ladies but like i said yesterday i don't know of any woman that borrows money from the husband they don't borrow they take I said that when a woman wants money from her husband she perfumes herself she walks gingerly she walks up to him 
if his name is John, she won't call him John. She will say, Johnny, can I have some money? Somebody say, Johnny, can I have some money? If he doesn't give her in the day, she knows what to do at midnight to get the money. Don't ask me because we're not in a marriage seminar. But please, our wives and our sisters that are here who are owed money by their husbands. Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 1 and 2. By the enlightenment of the 14th year, season says, release your husband. Lift up your right hand and shout, release. Can you shout it seven times? One, two, three, four. Five, six, seven. It's a season of release, and that is the law. The word of the Lord is, 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 is settled in heaven. So if your business is owing money, believe God for a time of release. We tested it with the nations over the issue of Jubilee. Jubilee seasons are also seasons of releasing nations from debt and indebtedness. The Jubilee season is calculated uh, in the context of seven times seven years plus one year, which is uh, 50. And we've noticed that every Jubilee season, God releases nations from debt and indebtedness, releases institutions, Seven years before our nation, Nigeria, celebrated Jubilee, we got this revelation and we began to pray. A few years to the Jubilee in 2010, God raised the woman who has come back as Minister of Finance and the Minister in Charge of the Economy, Dr. Konjo Ewela, who worked with the, with the uh, financial institutions of the West. And God gave her wisdom. At that time, the nation owed money to the tune of about 32 billion dollars she brought this wisdom and told them well we'll pay a certain percentage of the money we owe if you will release the nation actually the nation was given a debt relief of 18 billion dollars because it was the right time if you're here indebted it's a season of release if you're here ruled by the spirit of debt and indebtedness, know that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. But let's not see debt only in the context of finances. There are some of us here that are indebted to fulfilling visions. Paul said, I am a debtor to the gospel. Tell somebody near you, you're a debtor to the gospel. Come on now, use the prophetic words. Tell somebody you're a debtor to the gospel. Many marketplace people do not understand that their primary role in the marketplace is not to make money, but to win souls. And he that winneth soul is wise. The resources that God gives us in the marketplace is supposed to be channeled for the purpose of fulfilling the, the plan of redemption. Remember that resources in the marketplace is not just a matter of silver and gold it's also a matter of what souls the precious things of the marketplace are not just silver but they are also souls and i can tell you that the devil's resources is usually employed to enslave people to enslave nations your own resource my resource 
should be used to liberate souls. And so you are a debtor to the gospel. Some individuals here may be indebted to blood. But this is the season of release from that debt and indebtedness. On the cross of Calvary, the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for the redemption of all things. So the price has already been paid. Oh, can I hear you say a better amen? The price has been paid. There is a blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. As individuals, if you notice in your family, premature death. People die before their time. Usually, every case of premature death has its foundation in blood guiltiness. Blood is a seed. And whenever it's sown in unrighteousness, it brings forth a harvest of bloodshed. That's why as marketplace people, we must fight the legalization of abortion in our nations. Because when abortion is legalized, that means there is an institutionalized means of harvesting souls for the kingdom of darkness. Once that law is enacted, you open up a slippery slope into darkness. Abortion was legalized in America in 1973 in the Supreme Court case of Roe and Wade. Before the legalization of abortion in 1973 in uh, America, when the fetus was maybe illegally aborted, it was thrown away. But after the legalization of abortion, of abortion in 1973, the fetuses that were aborted were no more thrown away. They were kept now in big fridges and big warehouses. They have currently become the raw material for the cosmetic industry. So much of the cosmetics you use, the raw material in certain cases are fetuses. And when you put a cosmetic upon your body that was made with a fetus, you're carrying debt upon you. In certain nations, fetuses are not just used as raw materials currently. They have become a delicacy in restaurants. So you can actually go to a restaurant and ask for uh, a, a five-month-old fetus of a baby boy. And they will serve it to you in a plate. If you have the heart, go on the net. Google healthy soup. Some of you may not be able to... <laughs> To stand what you see. But if you have the heart, Google healthy soup. Healthy soup is soup made from a fetus. It's believed to energize sexual prowess and to restore uh, uh, men's sexual powers. And you can imagine what has happened with it. So we are in a place where we need to fight these things. Blood, I said, is a seed. When it is sown in unrighteousness, it leads to a harvest of bloodshed. So it's at such a time we need to understand that you can't just terminate a pregnancy from your womb and think it doesn't matter. What people call choice is not choice in the real sense of the word. The baby also has a choice. God understands the essence of life and life is precious. And when nations begin to legalize abortion and begin to terminate the life of helpless uh, infants in the womb, it means therefore that nation would also 
go on a slippery slope of debt. As individuals, we must deal with the issue of abortion. Your womb is an altar of life. When you terminate a pregnancy from your womb, your womb, you turn the altar of life into an altar of death. That's why some people are also suffering from the issue of, of pregnancies that do not sustain themselves or that are not sustained to full term. A lady came into my office some years ago and she had a problem, a health problem. And I told her that your problem is blood guiltiness. And I asked, how many abortions have you done? She said, many. Glibly like that, many. How many? She said, many. I said, no. A seed terminated from your womb is a destiny aborted. A seed terminated from your womb is a nation destroyed. So how many? She said, many. Now we sat down and we began to examine. By the time we prayed and we calculated, she had forgotten how many, but we eventually discovered that she had had 14 different abortions. It was convenient for her to forget because he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. You can't adequately bring repentance without taking each one specifically. Now that's why we need to be careful. That's why as marketplace people, it's our responsibility to ensure that certain legislations are not enacted in our nation. Thank God for what God has done with the anti-gay bill. May it never be restored in the name of Jesus Christ. We need to celebrate the president, celebrate parliament because they have done well. Can you clap again if you mean business with God? But again, we need to be careful because the bill has been enacted. But the people in the new world order, those preparing for the manifestation of the Antichrist, they have an agenda. If they didn't succeed now, they have an agenda. The agenda is to send their people into Makarere and all the universities. They begin to teach the people, change their opinion. The people they indoctrinate come out become the lawyers, they go into parliament. If you are not careful, the entire parliament becomes in their favor and the law that has been enacted can be changed. But we say it will not happen in Jesus' name. But we need to be watchful. So it's a season of releasing individuals, nations from debt. And I said debt can be financial, Death can be in terms of vision. Death can also be in terms of blood. Power and process of salvation. Glories and gateways of uh, deliverance. Double septenary grace for perfection. The fourth concept is the tripartite 14 generations of Jesus. Say it after me. The tripartite 14 generations of Jesus. Again, Tripartite is a technical name for three. Let's deal with this immediately. Matthew chapter 1 verse 17. Matthew chapter 1 verse 17. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 17, we see an example of the tripartite 14 generations of Jesus as a concept to illuminate our heart for the purpose of enlightening us. Matthew chapter 1 verse 17. Now, I'd like us to read this together. A 
if you have your Bible or if it can be projected, let's all turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. And let's read it together. If you're there, if it can be projected, please, I'd like us to read it together. Everybody want to go. So all the generations of Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until they carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. How many 14 generations do you have there? Three. Now these three 14 generations of Jesus give us an indication of the enlightenment that we need to receive for the purpose of fulfilling an agenda, especially from this 14th year season. Notice that the, of the three 14 generations of Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, the first begins with Abraham. The first begins with Abraham. And Abraham in Genesis chapter 14 is described as the Hebrew. In Genesis 14, Abraham is described as the Hebrew. As the Hebrew. Verse 13. Genesis 14 verse 13. And there came one that escaped. One that escaped. Somebody say the word escaped. And there came one that escaped and told Abraham the Hebrew. Abraham the Hebrew. Now the concept of the Hebrew has to do with one that has escaped and crossed over. When I discovered that the concept of the Hebrew has to do with one that has escaped and crossed over, then I said, Abraham is not the only Hebrew. I am also a Hebrew. Is there any big Hebrew here? One that has escaped and crossed over. Can you wave your hand and shout hallelujah? Yes. And this is a season God wants us to escape. There are certain landmines in the marketplace, certain landmines in the nations, certain snares in the nations that you must escape and cross over. Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. So, God gives us a revelation that there is a time. It's not that you can't escape and cross over at other times. But the anointing, the grace, the power, the unction to escape and cross over is greater in every season of the 14th year. Because the 14th year has to do with generational escape. In fact, in the study of genetics, and genetics is the study of heredity. And it has to do with generations. There's a concept called crossover. A crossover occurs genetically when an individual or a family or an institution breaks free from a negative generational trait and begins to manifest a positive generational trait. In other words, there is a negative generational trait in your life that you must break free from this season. So you're crossing over. Somebody shout, I'm crossing over. Lift up your right hand and say, I have escaped. Oh, shout it seven times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's an iniquity 
that has ruled you that you must escape in this season. And the Lord enables us to escape. Bribery and corruption is iniquity in the marketplace that we must escape from. And I can tell you that you can do business without getting involved in bribery and corruption. There are those that do business and they can escape bribery and corruption. There's a scripture that tells us that escape on our own is not possible except by the enablement of God Almighty. Psalm 124. Psalm 124. In Psalm 124, reading from Psalm 124, reading from verse 6 or 4 to 6. Psalm 124, reading from verse 4 to 6. Psalm 124. And the power in my iPad is almost gone. Okay. It says, no, Psalm 124. Let's read from... Is that 124? That scripture says that it is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not uh, consumed. The Bible says that we have a, the snare is broken. We have what? Escaped. Prophesy to your neighbor the snare will be broken. You will escape. Lift up your right hand and say the snare is broken. I have escaped. Say it again. The snare is broken. I have escaped. Now, I don't know about you. I had encountered with snares when I was three years old. There was an animal at the back of our house in the village that tormented us. So they set a trap for that animal. There's this trap. You match the edge and the two edges open. And then you put a bait. Do you have that trap here? Okay, some of you are only town people. You don't, you don't belong to the village. That's why you don't know what I'm talking about. But we village boys, we still remember that trap. How many people remember the trap I'm talking about? Very good. Now, the trap was set. Now, the trap is usually put underneath the ground, but the bait is visible. And they put roasted fish as bait. Whole roasted fish. Now, I came with my three-year-old mentality at the back of the house, and I saw roasted fish on the ground. I said, wait a minute. Who kept roasted fish on the ground? If they don't know where roasted fish should be, I'll teach them where roasted fish should be in my mouth. So I stretched out my hand, and I grabbed the fish, and the trap went off. Bang! And I screamed. I screamed. Now, till today, until people came to rescue me. Till today, there is a mark on my hand here. Anytime I see it, it reminds me that if I see roasted fish on the ground that doesn't belong to me, I should leave it alone. <laughs> Marketplace people must be people of integrity. Can I hear you say amen? amen? When you take that which does not belong to you, there will always be consequences. And at this time, certain businesses have been known for generational stealing. And it's the time to break free from that negative generational uh, trait. Let's interpret it in our context. 
And I'd like you to understand that the snare must be broken. The trap must be broken. There's an escape for somebody here. If you trust in the Lord, they that trust in the Lord can never be put to shame. Is it money we want? Our God can give us money in abundance. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All other things shall be added unto you. There can be no greater prosperity message. And so, every 14th year, you have this concept, the power and process of salvation, the glories and gateways of deliverance, double septenary grace for perfection, the tripartite 14 generations of Jesus for the purpose of escaping and crossing over. Listen, maybe your business is at a level, but you see, if you keep the kingdom mindset, God can move you to a completely different level. Our concept of business is very mundane. It's not kingdom-based. But seek first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All other things shall be added unto you. But this has a different charger. Don't worry. It has a different charger. Just tell them to help me with the scriptures. Thank you. So how many concepts have we uh, mentioned now? Four. The fifth concept that is associated with this period to enlighten us so that we can illuminate our generation is Passover for victorious celebration. Can I say Passover for victorious celebration? You notice that Passover is usually celebrated on the 14th day of Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish calendar. The 14th day of Nisan. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2, God gave an instruction to Aaron and to Moses. Tell the children of Israel that this shall be the beginning of years for you. Then God gave an instruction Every family, and family in our context could be every business. Take out a lamb on the 10th day. Then on the 14th day, verse 6 says, every family kill the lamb on the 14th day. Take the blood and put on the lintel. Because on that 14th day night, I'm coming to pass over the land. So it's a concept. That is important for us to note. I'll explain how we can apply it as marketplace ministers in a moment. But let me just give you all the concepts together. So you have power and process of salvation, glories and gateways of deliverance, double septenary grace for perfection, the tripartite 14 generations of uh, Jesus, Passover for victorious celebration, then the consecration and glorification of firstborns. Say it after me. The consecration and glorification of firstborns. Then finally, you have the concept of holy laughter and heaven-inspired joy. Holy laughter and heaven-inspired joy. Now, how can these seven concepts, and there could be more, how can these seven concepts influence our ability to illuminate the marketplace on the basis of our enlightenment, on the basis of our revelation. Let me come back to the first concept. And the first concept is power and process of what? Salvation. Now, notice that 
we can derive inspiration from the birth of Israel to understand that every 14th year season is a time of greater salvation, a time of birth and rebirth. Somebody say birth and rebirth. Say it again, birth and rebirth. Israel was born as a nation on the 14th day of Nisan. Interestingly, Israel was reborn as a nation on the 14th of May, 1948. It is not coincidence that the nation was first born on the 14th day. And it was reborn on the 14th day of May, 1948. It's not coincidence. It's because at the time in which we find ourselves, there's a gateway of salvation that has been opened at another level. We are at a season of greater salvation. And greater salvation in the context of what we do in the marketplace. Remember, in the marketplace, you're not just there to get silver. You're there to get what? Souls. So what can we do if this is a season when the gateway of salvation has been opened, you know there are times a tree with fruit, is the fruit is not yet ripe. You need to climb the tree to pluck the fruit. There are other times the tree is full of ripe fruit. You don't need to climb. You shake the branches and what happens? The fruits fall. We are at such a time. God wants to increase the number of souls he wants to win through your ministry. But oftentimes, some marketplace will think that the, the role of winning souls is for those who are with colors, those who are in the churches. But we are ministers in our own right. God has washed us in his blood and he has called us to be priests and kings. Notice that Jesus is the supreme signification of Passover. Who is the supreme signification of Passover? Come on now, shout his name one more time. Jesus. If you read the New Testament, you'll notice that because he is the supreme signification of Passover, he too was crucified during the Passover. I can tell you that he was actually following the Passover of the, uh, of the, uh, the, the pattern of the Passover lamb. He was crucified on the 14th day. Now, notice on the day of his crucifixion, there was a thief on the left and then there was a thief on the right. One thief was snaring. Another thief understood that I am at a gateway of salvation. He said to Jesus, remember me in paradise. What was the response of Jesus to this thief? Jesus said, today. Somebody say, today. Yeah. Come on, I shout it, today. Yeah. Say it like Africans, today. Yeah. Today you will be with me in paradise. What day was that day? The 14th day. Now watch. On that 14th day, a man that was heading to hell went to where? Heaven. By grace. Many of your business associates that you never thought would give their lives to Christ in this season by your ministry, they will give their lives to Christ. But what do we do? I am the holy man in the marketplace. He is a thief. God loves thieves and he wants thieves to repent. 
And through your ministry, the thieves in the marketplace will repent. Of course, some will snare. Some will go to hell. But there are thieves that will understand that we are the gateway of greater salvation. And through the skill you demonstrate, they will say, what makes this guy thick? Through your integrity, they will say, there's something about this guy. That is an open door for you to share the gospel with them. So what is the spiritual infrastructure we need to put in place in order to harvest the greatest number of souls in the marketplace as we have never done based on the revelation of God's times and season in which we are. I believe that there are certain things you could do in the marketplace to draw people to God's uh, uh, kingdom. You've invited them to church. Many times they don't come. True or false? Now, but there is a way you could invite them to church and they will come. And there's a way you could deal with them in the marketplace and they will yield their hearts to you. Can I suggest that from now on, you can use your birthday to do an outreach, either in the marketplace or in the church? Hello? Can I suggest that if your birthday is on Monday, Tuesday, yes, you could celebrate in the marketplace, not in your heart, take it to the marketplace during break time, or you could celebrate it in church on a Sunday. You send out invitation to your business associate. It's my birthday. Will they come because it's your birthday? Even the Hindus, huh? the Satanists will follow you to church because it is your birthday. Tell your pastor that Friends are coming. I'm coming with 200 friends. Some of you could send 500 invitation cards and 300 people will follow you to church. If you want to clap, clap. Because we're talking about being enlightened. Huh? But what do we do? We waste such occasions. Our interest is not in the souls, but it's in the food. It's in the show. From now on, every birthday becomes an outreach can i suggest that that i know somebody is just saying now but i don't know my birthday give yourself a day <laughs> in fact i suggest 14th <laughs> some can choose 14th of january others can choose 14th of february it's your birthday be as wise as a serpent harmless as a dove can i suggest that you can turn every wedding into an outreach many times people think of weddings from the point of view of the mundane not from the point of view of the spiritual when i got wedded 25 years ago my primary interest was to turn the wedding into an outreach i invited all the lecturer friends who were atheists to church and they came to church because it was my wedding. But what do we see? We're more interested in the dressing. Because uh, Ruth's dress, you know, there is this long tolotolo tail. <laughs> it reached uh, Nakasero. You almost reached Entebbe. So the interest is in the garment. It's in the levels of the cake. From now on, you will think like a kingdom citizen. Can I suggest that you celebrate the birthday of your associates in the office? 
but bring somebody to share the word of God there. Can I suggest that every funeral can be turned into an outreach? Can I suggest that every baby dedication, do we do baby dedications here? Every baby dedication should be turned into an outreach. The key is send out invitation cards and concentrate on the unbelievers. Your relations that are unbelievers, your friends, your associates that are unbelievers. I can see the greatest harvest of souls that will ever come into the kingdom if we put this into practice. I didn't hear you say amen. I learned how to turn funerals into outreaches. We just buried my stepmom. My stepmom was from Zambia. And I had to invest money to go to Zambia to tell her father. Her father is 102 years old and her sisters. I invested money in everything I did. I said, Lord, this investment is a business. It will not be wasted. And it wasn't wasted. On Friday last week, we reaped a harvest of souls in the village. So I knew that all the money I spent for the funeral is worth it. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? In other words, one soul is greater than every of the resources you can think of. I learned to turn funerals into outreaches in a very unique way. My cousin had lost the mother and would travel a long distance for her burial. She was not a believer, neither was my cousin a believer more than 20 years ago. But when we got there, now there was a table full of alcohol. And I quietly avoided that table and went somewhere to stay. Then she came up, took the microphone and said, ladies and gentlemen, I have my brother here. He is a pastor. Let's welcome him to sit on the high table. And the high table was full of gin and schnapps. When I came, my initial problem, let nobody take a photograph of me before schnapps. Because I know church people will not believe I wasn't taking the schnapps. That was my concern. Suddenly, they all rebuked me. Don't you see an opportunity? So I prayed a simple prayer. Lord, give me an opportunity to say something. Somebody who did not have anything to do with the funeral took up the microphone from the coordinator and said, ladies and gentlemen, my nephew has something to say. And it was answered prayer. In five minutes, I preached the gospel and several people gave their lives to Christ that day. Now, so let's use birthdays, let's use wedding anniversaries, weddings, let's use baby dedications, both in the context of the church and in the context of the marketplace. Because God is about to reap the greatest number of souls he has ever reaped. If you make all the money, make all the investments, and it doesn't reflect in the souls that you have won, you have not been wise. He that winneth souls is wise. And the Lord will help us to be wise in Jesus' name. Now come to the issue of consecration and glorification of firstborns. I'd like to just deal with that and then I'll round up. Consecration and glorification of firstborns. Now, notice that God says firstborns are mine. And firstborns are normally consecrated on the 14th day. Exodus chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 says firstborns are mine. 
and they should be consecrated, rededicated unto me. Now, again, the Lord describes Israel not just as a son, but as firstborn. Now, by the way, God wants to give us a concept of firstborn that would affect the marketplace in a way that it has not affected until now. Who are the firstborns here? Who are the firstborns? Your firstborn. Please lift up your hand. Can you stand up on your feet? Please stand up on your feet. Your firstborns. Stand up. I, I can see jealousy on the faces of those that are seated down. <laughs> but let me help those who are seated down. Turn to those who are standing. Tell them you're not the only firstborn. <laughs> you can see the smiles have returned to their faces. Sit down. Now, there are multidimensional classifications of firstborns that God wants to use to enlighten our eyes to see what we need to do about this season of consecrating and glorifying firstborns. Those who stood up are firstborns by birth order. They are the ones that opened the matrix. But there are also firstborns by gender. Can I say firstborns by gender? There is a boy that is first, but you are the first girl. That means you are also firstborn. Then there are firstborns by marriage. Your husband is a firstborn, but you are not a firstborn. The two shall become one flesh, so technically you are firstborn. I can see smiles coming back on the faces of certain people. Then there are firstborns by function. Can I say firstborns by function? You know, in certain families, the firstborns are incapacitated. They are unable to function. But God doesn't allow for a vacuum. Somebody lower down in rank usually is raised to function as firstborn. If something happens, he's the first they call because he has the capacity to lead the others. I know seated here are firstborns by function. Then there are firstborns by death. The firstborn died, but God automatically elevate the next person in line to be firstborn. Then there are firstborns by prophecy. Can I just say firstborn by prophecy? Now, notice that David was the last son of Jesse, the eighth son of Jesse. But in Psalm 89, the Bible says, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil have I anointed him. In verse 27, the scripture says, he shall be my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Amazing. The lastborn became firstborn by prophecy. Then there are firstborns by reason of belonging to Jesus. If you're born again, that means you are firstborn. He is the first begotten from the dead. The firstborn of all creation. And we are joint heirs with him. So if he's firstborn, I am also a firstborn. So if you're not yet born again, get born again tonight. Because it's only by being born again that you can become firstborn as he is firstborn. Then there are firstborns by reason of belonging to the church of the firstborn that is registered in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, I think verse 22, or is it 21? It says, you have come to the company of innumerable angels, to the church of the firstborn registered in heaven. Amazing. So the members of the church in heaven are only firstborns. If you're not a firstborn, you don't belong to that church. Please turn to your neighbor and say, ask him, 
Is your name written in the register? Of the church of the firstborn registered in heaven. Come on and ask somebody, is your name written in the register? Of the church of the firstborn registered in heaven. So technically, only firstborns are going to heaven. Because the church in heaven is called the church of the firstborn. Now, firstborns are pathfinders. They locate a path for others to follow. Firstborns are pioneers. They start new things. Firstborns are creative innovators. And I'll make my point in a moment. Firstborns are carriers of kingdom glory. Firstborns are carriers of kingdom glory. When Jehoshaphat died, we are told in 2 Chronicles 21 that he gave gifts to his other sons. Gifts of silver, gold, gifts of precious things, gifts of cities. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was his firstborn. So firstborns are leaders of leaders. The kingdom is given to them. Now, and in this season, God is talking about the consecration and glorification of firstborns. Notice that you can have firstborn individuals, you can have firstborn nations, you can also have firstborn companies. Hello. Oh, may God turn your company into a firstborn company. A pathfinder in a particular area of business. A creative innovator. One that is able to rule and rule well. So you could have firstborn schools. Firstborn hospitals. Firstborn hairdressing saloon. Firstborn universities. I don't think you're catching the revelation. But you get it very soon. But firstborns are mine. Can you go back and rededicate your company as a firstborn company? Or you need to overcome the challenges that did not allow firstborns. I'm talking about firstborns from families succeeding in the Bible. Because when you look at the travail of firstborn, there's a glory, there's a triumph of firstborns, but there's also a travail. And the travail of firstborns is often a product of sin, a product of unrighteousness. What was the problem of Adam? The problem was rebellion. You're doing a business that rebels against God. There's no way you can become a firstborn business. How about Abel? Abel, covetousness. Abel was involved in murder. You run a hospital and you are engaged in abortion. There's no way you can be a firstborn hospital. Because you're destroying the seed that God says is mine. How about the man Lamech? Lamech was the firstborn. He was a firstborn. But he was the first polygamist. He was also the second murderer. What of Methuselah? Methuselah was firstborn. But he had long life without any achievement. And long life without achievement is short life. 
You've had an organization that has lasted for 50 years. What has the 50 years done as far as the nation is concerned? It's not how long your organization has lasted, but it's how effective it is. Jesus served for only three and a half years, but his influence is still there to today at all levels. How about Esau? Esau suffered from profanity. He sold his birthright for a plate of porridge. And that's what many African nations are doing today. That's what many African companies are doing today. In Zambia, we gave out the buying of copper to Chinese. And what did we get for it? They gave us stadium, build stadium, stadium. No, it doesn't make sense to give out an inheritance for what? Stadium. And they have been given tax-free rights for several years. The same is true for many other nations. Our mentality is the mentality of Esau's. Esau's look for immediate gratification. Esau's want to kill and eat. Unlike Jacob's that nurture and grow. So it's important we do not become profane because we sell out. As a young girl, when you sell your body to get a job, you're selling your birthright. As a young man, when you give bride to get to a position, you're selling your birthright. So it's important to note, how about Reuben? Now, let's read Reuben and we'll take one more scripture and we'll close for tonight. Look at Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49, please let's have Genesis 49 from verse 1. Jacob gathered his children and he said to them, Hear you sons of Jacob, let me tell you what will befall you in the end time. Inspire Conference has been organized to tell us the patterns of the end time, the things that will befall us in the end time. And Jacob called all his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you that which will befall you in the last days. It takes a father to be inspired. It takes a father that has been enlightened to be able to tell his sons what will become of them in the last days so they can illuminate their generation. Verse 2 says that gather together and hear you sons of Jacob and listen to Israel your father. Then verse 3, he begins to speak to his firstborn. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Look at the glory of firstborns. Firstborns, no, go back. Firstborns, firstborns are, okay, verse 3, verse 3, thank you. Firstborns are the beginning of a man's might. Firstborns are the beginning of a man's strength. Firstborns are the excellency of dignity. There's a spirit of excellence that should work on firstborns. Paul says, approve only those things that are excellent. In whatever business you do, approve only the things that are excellent. Thank God for the hotels in, in East Africa. But when you go to West Africa, especially in Nigeria, many of the hotels have problems. There are a few good ones. 
I enter some hotels, you get into the bathroom, there's a tap marked red. That tap should give me hot water. There's another one marked blue. It should give me cold water. I turn the blue tap, what I have is hot water. I turn the red tap, what I have is uh, cold water. And somebody says, it doesn't matter. It matters. It's just that our society is not litigious. If it's in America, I turn the blue tap and what I get on my hand is hot water, I could sue you to court. Approve only the things that are excellent. Now, that scripture says that the excellence of dignity. Then verse 4, God says, but unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Everybody say, he went up to my couch. Stop at this service for. Say it again, he went up to my couch. No, no please, keep, keep the scripture for me until I tell you to let it go. Now, I'll explain what that means in a moment. The question i like to ask before we get back to that scripture, what is it that makes you unstable? What is it that makes your business unstable? What's it that makes your family unstable? Now, you need to deal with whatever makes you unstable because that instability will deny you your birthright. The Bible says he went to his father's bed. He defiled his father's bed. He slept with his uh, father's wife. Now, if you look at that scripture, something amazing you notice. God was addressing Reuben. You, you are my firstborn. You are the excellency of my dignity. You are the excellency of my power. Then he says, but, unstable as water, you will not excel. Notice he kept on saying you, you, you. Then he gets to the last uh, sentence there. He went up to my cart. Notice there is a switch. Did you notice there is a switch? From saying you, he said he. Now, let me interpret what's happening here as we close this session. Actually, you need to understand that Jacob pronounced a curse on his firstborn at a time firstborns are supposed to be consecrated and glorified. How do I know? Historically, all the foundational fathers of Israel were born in Nisan. They died in Nisan. Jacob was born in the first month. He died in the first month. Isaac was born in the first month. He died in the first month. Jacob was also born in the first month. He died in the first month. So at the time he was making his last speech, it was the time of the consecration and the glorification of firstborns. It was the time he was dying. He was the time to bless his firstborn. Hear me. The marketplace, especially of believers, is about to receive an explosion and blessing that we have never seen before. Especially in this end time. May we not receive a curse rather than receiving a blessing. So when he began to pronounce, you will not excel, I sense in my spirit that God must have stood up and must have been communicating with Jacob. I'm sure he must have been saying, Jacob, you're going too far. Jacob, you're going too far. Whatever you say about this boy will not just affect him, but will affect his generations. Be careful, Jacob. You're going too far. So he stopped addressing Jacob and began to answer God. 
God, leave me alone. This boy went to my couch. Let me say what I'm going to say. And so, Reuben received a curse when he was to receive a blessing. Do not mind what's about to happen, happen now. The devil knows that his time is short. And we are at the season of the greatest release of wealth in every dimension. The Bible says knowledge shall increase. Wealth will also increase. It's a season of tremendous blessing for they that will walk with the Lord. For they that will follow God's commandments. For those that will be obedient to the principles of the marketplace that God has stated for us to follow. It's a season of blessing. But many may receive a curse rather than a blessing. Somebody say, God forbid. One father pronounced a curse at the time he was supposed to be pronouncing a blessing. Thank God that another father came to reverse the curse. I believe that in this conference, whatever represents a curse over your life, over your business can be reversed. Some business people do not even understand the basis of tithing. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse and prove me if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing which you will have no room to receive. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. If you don't tithe your business, then what, what do you do? You don't only tithe as an individual. I believe that you should tithe your business. If your business is firstborn business, God says that business is mine. It doesn't belong to you. It is his. And firstborns are prototype of titan that God says, well, all of that children belong to the family, but the firstborn is mine. So, Moses followed a different pattern. Unlike Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that were born in Nisan, died in Nisan, Moses was born in Ada, the 12th month, and he also died in Ada. He began to make his last speech. In fact, he gave a prophetic history in Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 6, he pronounced a blessing on Reuben. Before that blessing, Reuben did business. He did not succeed. He was firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, because of immorality, the genealogy was not reckoned by birthright. His birthright was taken. Deuteronomy 33, verse uh, 6, he says, let Reuben live and not die. Let not his men be few. Whenever Israel went to war, more Reubenites died because of the curse. He began to procreate before others. But the population of Reuben was smaller than other populations. Then comes another father and said, let Reuben live. And I believe that firstborns here and firstborn businesses will live in this season. Let firstborns live. Let not their destiny be terminated. Let businesses that believe they can come under the cover and the glory of firstborns, let them live in this season. When other businesses are dying, yours can live. The devourer will not come to your business. God wants to take you to another level. As we continue to discuss, my prayer is that 
all the concepts associated with the 14th year season, you will catch a revelation of it, you will be enlightened by it, and you will illuminate your generation through those concepts. Remember, this is a season of birth and rebirth. Something is about to be born through you. A new business can be born through you. A new idea can be birthed through you. So ask God to enlarge your capacity to receive divine impregnation. Because in this season, it's not unbelievers that will take control of the marketplace again only. God will give divine insights to his people. There are technologies that have not been invented in the realm of the spirit. You will receive dreams that will help you to get it. As I close, notice this. In the Bible, there were 14 dreamers. 14 dreamers. And God said to me that in this 14th year season, he's going to be giving us destiny molding dreams. Somebody say destiny molding dreams. Some of you have already started having the destiny molding dreams. But most of the dreams we deal with in church that we conduct deliverance over, many of those dreams are mundane. It's time for you to stop seeing a lizard with a machine gun pursuing you. I didn't hear you say amen. It's time for you to stop seeing nonsense in the dream. It's time for the Holy Spirit to activate a technology through a dream for you. All the dreamers in the Bible, including the unbelieving dreamers, all their dreams were destiny-molding dreams. Pharaoh dreamt about the economy. It was a destiny-molding dream. Nebuchadnezzar dreamt about the history of the world, four kingdoms. It was a destiny-molding dream. Joseph saw 11 stars bowing down to him. It was a destiny-molding dream. May the Lord release destiny molding dreams to you. Amen.